0: Tonight, my message is going to be a little bit different than a a normal sermon. Um, As I was reading in my own quiet time, I came across this particular text that we're going to be looking at tonight in Philippians chapter 1, and it struck me of how to use this in two ways. One, to deliver a good message of God's truth, but also to hopefully use it as an encouragement to you in your own ability to study the Word of God. And this is not to say that you're not getting what you want out of your quiet time, but I don't want to assume that uh, you are completely fulfilled. And sometimes people say, you know, I just, I just don't know how to dig into the Word of God. And one way to really uh, get more out of the Scripture is to question the text, not question it as far as calling it into question, wondering whether you know, it's truthful or it has good standing. We know by faith what the Word of God says about itself, that it's God's Word, it's inspired. But our ability to ask questions of the text, because as we're reading along, uh, even though we might not see questions, obviously questions are attempting to be answered often in Scripture. Even if we have a narrative, a story that we're reading, say, in the Old Testament or in the Gospels, uh, God's Word is given to us uh, to profit us in these ways, to give truth. And so if we understand, okay, why did the Holy Spirit put this here? Why did He phrase it this way? Uh, What about my life, about my situation, uh, is being answered here? And sometimes if we can back it up and figure out, you know, what would be a question that I might ask that this verse is is answering, then somehow it will help us to get more out of the Scripture. So we're going to do a little bit of that tonight. But we're also going to try to deal with this question of praying for other people. And we all know I should be praying for other people. You know you should be praying for other people. But here's the question. Is it important to tell people that I'm praying for them? And I believe the answer to that question is a simple yes. It is appropriate. I'm not saying you need to every single time that you pray for someone, pick up the phone or text them and say, oh, by the way, I just prayed for you. But I do think that there is a a precedent that we're going to see in Scripture tonight, both in this text and other places, that says it is a benefit And we have an example for us to often tell people, I am praying for you. Because that's exactly what Paul does here. So I'm going to read these three verses here in Philippians chapter 1 beginning at verse 9. And it says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So right in the first verse... He's already writing to these Philippian believers and he's telling them, I am praying for you. And then he's elaborating on how he's praying for them. Going on to verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So. We've answered the question as far as Paul setting the example. Now, let me just say, everything that is stated in Scripture isn't automatically an example and a pattern for us to follow. We know that, for instance. We see Judas betray Jesus, and that's recorded in Scripture. Scripture is not suggesting to us that we ought to betray righteous people or that we ought to betray our Lord. Judas also later goes out and hangs himself. The scripture is not suggesting by giving us the portrayal of Judas's bad acts that we ought to follow suit. However, we do understand that the scripture, when it lays out for us positive role models and patterns, that those are, in fact, good for us to follow. And, of course, here is a good pattern for us to be following. And therefore, I think it is often very encouraging for us to follow this. But as I mentioned, I want to use this as a tool for deepening our personal Bible study. So we're going to be inspecting the text, is the way I like to put it, and we're going to be asking some questions of it. And these were questions that I just personally came up with as I went through this text, just to kind of show you how I did it. You might come up with different phrase questions or some entirely different questions. My hope and my goal is that you might put this into practice with another passage of Scripture on your own. Pull out a notebook, pen or paper and start reading the text and say, hmm, what question is this phrase, this word? Why did the Holy Spirit put it in here? And write those questions out, and then, and then spend some time meditating on it and elaborate on your answer. So we're gonna, that's what the message is going to be tonight, going through a number of these different questions. So, as we inspect the text, the first question is this. Paul told them how he was praying for them. What is the value of letting someone know how you pray for them? So we've already talked about it's good, it's right to do this, but why? What happens, perhaps, when we do this for someone else? And I'd say the answer to this is it not only tells them how you're praying for them, but it's an encouragement that you are praying for them, period. Does it not come across to you as something that bolsters you a little bit in your walk with the Lord to realize, wow, this brother or sister in Christ cares enough for me to take me before the throne of grace? Sometimes you you might not have any clue. There's been numerous people that over the years have come to me and have not only said, I have prayed for you this week. I've had some people say, I pray for you. And at a very specified time every week, you know, every Saturday evening at supper time, we remember you as well as some other people in prayer. That's a huge encouragement to me. And if anyone's ever told you, and hopefully they have, that they've prayed for you, then you have also felt that encouragement as well. But also along with that, you're hearing perhaps, hopefully not just, I prayed for you, But Paul goes on to elaborate. We're going to talk about these specific things a little bit. But when you hear how the person is praying for you, it may not have been something that you picked up the phone and said, hey, I've got a prayer request. Will you pray for this for me? It's something that the Lord has laid on their heart, maybe apart from your suggesting it, for them to pray for you. And as you listen to whatever that is, that they say they're praying for you concerning... Your walk with the Lord, maybe something that they've picked up on as you've been talking and is a concern and the Holy Spirit's just burdened them. And maybe it's something that requires your cooperation in as far as the answer to prayer. Uh, maybe it's a growing area in your life, victory over some area of your life. When you hear this person's praying for you and you know that they're going before the throne of grace in your behalf. Wouldn't that make you more engaged in a cooperative way to that part of your sanctification? Wouldn't that make you more energized and excited and enthused about seeing that come about? Not to say that God needs our help, but he certainly doesn't want our resistance to it. And so we become co-workers, cooperative with the Lord in our life in that way. And so we need to see that... By merely mentioning the fact, I'm praying for you, this is a great source of encouragement. Secondly, as we inspect the text, think of someone that let you know that they were praying for you and how. What did this do for you? Now, we already touched this on a little bit, but I was trying to think of a good analogy for this. And most of us have ordered stuff online to be delivered might be amazon might be something else i know i just gave a plug to amazon on the live stream that's okay but whatever it is most of the time when you order something you'll get an email back from them saying here's a confirmation that you ordered it and when it's shipped. We will send you notification, and we'll also, and many of them do this, we will send you what kind of information? Tracking information. Sometimes you get that, that little UPS or uh, postal service uh, number there. You can click on it. And uh, one, one of these online ordering services I noticed in the, a dense uh, population area, Uh, like a metropolitan area, that you can click on it when it tells you, oh, your order is out for delivery today. And you can actually see a map, and you can see pinpoints at any given point of where the delivery truck is in relationship to your house and how many stops it might be away from you getting it. Now, that might be way overblown as far as people needing to know, where their stuff is, but when you've requested something, there's a spirit of anticipation about it. You're excited about it. Has it come? You know, often around our house, uh, our family, you know, someone has. Did this come in the mail? You know, did a package arrive? Uh, and we get excited about that. And I often think when someone says they're they're praying about something. I get a little bit more enthused about tracking that, saying, "Okay, Lord, it's going to be exciting to see how and when you're going to answer this prayer request. Now, it might be that the Lord says this isn't, you know, in the affirmative way, not my best for you. And so, quote, the the uh, the delivery gets canceled, if we could put it that way. But that in of itself. Uh, is an answer. So when someone tells us they're, they're praying along with us about something, I have noticed that when I've said this to another person, they've often come back and said, you know, that really helped me to know that you were praying along with me about that, helped, helped me to be more faithful in my prayers about that same issue in my own life. It, it was very easy for me to sort of fall off in my prayer and not be faithful and persistent in that. And so think of someone telling you that they're praying for you and how they're praying for you and what that does for you. I think the text encourages us about that. Here's a third way to inspect the text. For what specific things in the lives of these believers, talk about the Philippians here, did Paul pray? And we, we read through the text, but you could sit and, and number these things out. And this isn't to say that it's wrong or we shouldn't pray for uh, things like physical needs, people that are sick, that need health. Uh, those are also often exemplified for us in Scripture as well. But these things all deal with a... A spiritual tone; they have to deal with a personal sanctification, the growth of the believer. And I often wonder: Do we pray for one another in these areas? Elsewhere in our New Testament, it says the writer says, I, "I wish for you to to be in health and prosper, even as your soul prospers." You know, I'm very. He's saying. I am hopeful that you're feeling physically well, hopeful that financially, economically you're doing well, your job's going well. But the greater concern is how are you doing spiritually? How's your walk with the Lord? How's your growth in grace? Are you more like Jesus now than a week ago, a month ago? And that really needs to be the main concern where we focus. And these are the specific things in the lives of the believers that Paul is praying for. We can learn from that. Uh, We need to kind of look at our prayer list for people and say, how much am I praying for people spiritually in their lives? People are all concerned about physical health with the coronavirus going on right now. How about we also incorporate praying for people that during this time of awkward schedules, downtime, that people capture this time, as the Bible says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Uh, we we can do so much more for Christ, not just feeling like we're benched on the sidelines. Say, okay, I just need to approach ministry a, a different way. In the last newsletter I sent out, I gave some suggestions about how we can, we can still serve the Lord even while we're in our shelter, whatever that might be. Uh, things that we still have access to, ways we can still touch lives. Not just sort of drumming our thumbs until this is over or squandering it on on vain things. And so let's let's be mindful of the spiritual dynamic in people's lives. That is specifically the things that Paul is praying for here. So we should take a lesson from that. Fourthly, as we inspect the text, I came up with this question. The fact that believers can, and here's the the phrase, abound more and more, means what about our walk with the Lord? It's easy to pass over that, abound more and more. Sometimes when a person is first saved and they're a believer, they know they need to grow, right? I mean, they're a newborn babe. They desire the sincere milk of the word. And I love discipling a new convert in Christ. There's something just so exciting about that. And maybe you remember when you first got saved, how just on fire you were for the Lord. Or maybe someone that's a Christian and, and got away from the Lord and came back. And wow, they're just, you know, they're so exciting to be around because they're just, you know, hungry for the word, hungry to be in church, on their knees in prayer. They're just talking to everybody they can about Jesus, and and that's exciting. But unfortunately, what happens is sometimes we, we cool off. We, even as Jesus warned in the book of Revelation, we begin to lose our first love, which is very dangerous. We might fall into lukewarmness, as is also warned in Revelation 2. And so we need to guard against that. The point of the matter is, we never stop growing spiritually as believers. It's easy to kind of plateau in our minds and feel like, well, you know, I, I go to church, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. But do we see ourselves as still having room to be more like Jesus, seeing deficits in our life spiritually? Examining ourselves in the the mirror of God's word and saying, hmm, this is an area where I've had a blind spot. The scriptures just revealed it to me. And we want to be more like Jesus. That's what he's getting at here when he uses this phrase, abounding more and more. But not just correcting ourselves, but realizing, Lord, it's so great to be alive today as I start a new day with you, and I have yet more opportunities to serve you, Uh, give me those providential moments. Uh, Give me those opportunities where I can just talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, where I can worship you, where I can give a cup of cold water in your name. And this is all wrapped up in the idea. We need to realize that our walk with the Lord is a progressive thing and that yes we know we're ultimately going to get into heaven but our walk with the lord isn't just getting closer to heaven it's walking closer to jesus as we're journeying to heaven and that's how we abound more and more here's a fifth question we can use to inspect the text why do you need to develop in knowledge why do you need to develop in In knowledge, that's one of the things that's talked about here in verse nine. We're supposed to abound more and more in these two things, knowledge and judgment. And we'll talk about the second one in just a minute. So you might say those kind of sound similar. This is where meditating on the Word, if you're doing this exercise yourself, this is where pulling out a good concordance, like a Strong's Concordance, getting on the Internet using something like a a BibleGateway.com or Blue Letter Bible app, something that allows you to click on these words and find out what's really going behind the scenes, where is the original Greek or Hebrew word behind this used in other places of Scripture, And sometimes, you know, we're not going to uncover, you know, this amazing insight. But knowledge is really just as straightforward as that. Factual information. But truth is the idea here. We need to develop in knowledge and think about how else we develop in knowledge. Not just in our spiritual life, but we all started out our lives around the age of five or so going to elementary school. Kindergarten. Why? we needed knowledge reading writing arithmetic and all those other subjects some that we liked better than others the idea was that we sat under teachers we read we studied we did homework why to gain knowledge so that we would then be able to use that knowledge not just so we can you know be walking textbooks ourselves we need that knowledge to be able to function in life and my friend We need the knowledge of God's word to be able to function in our walk with him. We're never going to grow more like Jesus if we don't know what his expectations are for us, what our God really looks like. And so to know God, we don't want to just get this concept from casual conversation with our friends and neighbors because they don't always get it right. People are very quick to cast their own impressions of, well, this is what God is to me. No, that's very dangerous. We want to get our knowledge about God from the book that he's given to us to reveal himself. I and mean, he went through all the trouble to say, you want to know me? Here's how to know me. Don't just come up with your own version of me. That is akin to idolatry because we're creating another god different than the real god even though we're thinking of the real god in our mind. You you wouldn't want someone coming up and conjuring their own image of what you're like and what you like what you like and dislike and who you are. Someone coming up to you and says, you know, oh, you know, I, it's good to meet you. I bet this is your favorite kind of food. you like this kind of vacation, and uh, you you like this is your favorite color. wait a minute, none of that's right. Why don't you take time to get to know me and get knowledge about me and And sometimes I think we do that with God, the other, where we sort of impose what we think God ought to be like. And we would never want someone to do that to us, and likely we'd never do that to another person. So let's get the knowledge from God's word. That's why we need to develop in it. Here's a sixth question. What does improvement in the area of judgment do for us? Now, judgment has that judicial sound to it, right? Has a legal sound to it. And and well it should. But really the idea of judgment here is the idea of a discernment. A judge sits in a courtroom, and when he puts forth a judgment on a matter, he's had to weigh the facts, get the knowledge about the case, and then he's had to make a ruling, and he's had to exercise good discernment, assuming it's not a a jury that's making this. And so that's really what we're being told here that we need to abound in, in our personal lives. Get the facts, know what the Word of God teaches, abound in that, but then also... Make sure you're abounding in discernment. Discernment isn't something you just wake up with one morning with. You don't just it's not just downloaded to you by God. Discernment comes through the proper practice of using knowledge. Sometimes you get it wrong. You you look at the word of God and you look at life and you're thinking, "Hmm, okay, I've got to respond to this situation. I need to make a choice." In this situation, I need to give advice to a friend about this other person. And all of this requires judgment. We often even refer to it, well, it's sort of a judgment call, right? Well, we're calling upon our discernment to do that. All of us probably know people that we feel like they have a gift of discernment. And I think it's true that some people have a a more are more endowed with discernment than others. But listen, all of us, according to the scripture, are to abound in our discernment. There's a growing in our discernment that should be taking place. We should be more astute spiritually now than we were a year ago. Or definitely from the moment that we got saved. You should see that growth. Part of this is praying for it, right? Isn't that the context of what we're seeing here? Paul is praying for these other people. Now, he doesn't say it, but isn't it safe to say if Paul's praying for them in this way that they ought to be praying for themselves if Paul thought it was good enough? And, of course, the answer would be yes. Here's a seventh question as we inspect the text. Why is there a concern about proving things that are excellent? What exactly does that even mean? if you were to look into maybe another translation, it would be worded a little differently. But I think this is an excellent way. I love the wording in the King James Bible here on this particular point here. Approving things which are excellent. Well, let's talk about excellent, first of all. If we're supposed to be focused on excellence, we're obviously not okay with mediocrity or some synonym thereof. We're not even talking about the dregs of things, the, the very bottom line things. We understand different quality. i give an example here. I sometimes buy used books online, and these are sight unseen. A lot of times they're books that are out of print. I still want it because of its content. And sometimes there's a lot of people that are selling these same exact books, but you know not every book is the same. And the last thing you want to do is get this book and it's missing, you know, a dozen pages. The cover's ripped off of it. You know, someone thought that highlighting everything in red, you know, as if everything was equal importance. And you're very disappointed with this. So I'm very thankful that there's a rating system often in these. Places. And you can see and and they're held to this as sellers that if you say, well, it's it's in poor condition and therefore it's a lot cheaper. And it might be Fair, good, very good, like new, okay? Um, and assuming it's not brand new. And they stipulate what these books might look like. So that when I order the book, I'm paying an extra dollar to get very good instead of fair. And hopefully I'm not disappointed when it comes. Why? We don't want something that's crummy and falling apart. And they say, well, it depends on what I'm using it for. But we're talking about what here? We're talking about the condition of our soul and spirit as we're offering it up to God. And this is where mediocrity is not acceptable. God is deserving of our best in what we do. And so we would would not want to bring before the king of heaven shoddy sacrifices. So we need to be thinking about my best. How can we apply this? Excellence? Pretty much everything. That's why we give the first fruits of our increase when we're giving financially. We don't give, you know, the leftovers, so to speak, to God. A a biblical approach to financial giving by grace is, I start off by saying, God, this is yours now. How do I pay for everything else in life? Why? Because we don't want to give God the idea... That we think of him as mediocre, or what we 're giving to him as mediocre, uh, another way to do this would be when are you at your best in the day? Now, different people will answer that differently. if you're like me i am I'm am at my best about thirty minutes after I get up after I've you know gotten up and you know gotten a cup of coffee into me usually, uh, but it's early morning. You know, could be range anywhere from, you know, five to six thirty, somewhere in that range, you know, that I might start my day depending on the day. That is when my mind is the most alert. So at nighttime, come nine o'clock at night, my brain is starting to get very foggy and it's winding down. So when it comes to my time with the Lord, my quiet time. I'm not going to give him 9 o'clock at night if I can help it. I'm going to start off my day and say, Lord, this is when I'm alert. This is me giving you excellence. And I'll I'll do something that I don't have to be too clear on, like catching up on Twitter or something like that come 9 o'clock at night. Okay? Why? We are supposed to be, and here's the other word, approving. Approving things that are excellent in this way. Now, let me just say is that shows an earnestness on our part. It means that we're intentional about our excellence. Why does this have to be something that's intentional? Because unfortunately our flesh gravitates to mediocrity in the areas where we ought to be most interested in excellence. Our flesh is interested in excellent things, but usually they're vain things. But things that r- really go to character and to the uh, the benefiting of our soul and our spirit and laying up treasure in heaven. Isn't it true that that's where we struggle and we have to be intentional often with regard to approving things that are excellent? And so this is part of the prayer again. Paul's praying this for these believers, and he's telling them, I'm praying this for you. Hopefully, they got a clue and they said, Yeah, I need to be praying that for myself as well. Here's another thing that we can inspect about the text Why might it sometimes be difficult to manifest sincerity in life? Why might it be difficult to manifest sincerity? Because he then goes on to say, That ye may be sincere. Being real would be another way to put this, right? And why is that sometimes hard? Especially the longer that we've been saved, we know what the expectations are, don't we? We've learned that this is what good Christians do. This is what someone who loves God looks like. And we don't want to disappoint. We ought not want to disappoint God. But see, God sees the inside. He knows our thoughts afar off. So we're not going to pull the wool over on God's eyes. But unfortunately, sometimes we become people pleasers more than God pleasers. And when we don't feel like we're cutting the mustard spiritually, or we just get lazy, we might choose to become superficial. We might choose to become dishonest even because we want people to believe that we're measuring up to where we ought to be measuring up in our own minds even though we aren't really putting the effort and we're not really where we are trying to give the impression that we are what's really more important than anything else is this idea of sincerity be real then that way if there is some area that needs to be addressed and adjusted then we don't fall into the pit of being able to just be fake moving forward. Probably people are going to be way more gracious with us than we imagine that they are. We really put people's estimations of us in too high of a priority. But maybe someone would be loving and come along and say, listen, you know, if, if you're struggling, I'm here for you. They're not necessarily to be condemning or judgmental in that way. They're being discerning, and they care. But if you're not sincere, then how can someone really know how to pray for you and be an encouragement to you? So pray. Pray that you'll not get a facade before others. Ninth, picture a believer that demonstrates a life without offense. That's the wording there in Scripture. What stands out about such a person? I mean, when I use that phrase... Think of a person that is without offense. Now, your answer might be different than mine, but when I threw this to myself and asked that question, I thought they have a love for God and for others that is more than their self-love. Now, I'll tell you why I I answered it that way. is because when people are living in a way where they're conscientiously... Uh, not trying to give offense. It's because of they're driven by one motive if they're living this way consistently and that is love. And it's love for people. You know what? I, I care about people. I, I don't want to cause a brother to stumble. I, I don't want to set a bad example for them. But you know what? Even though you might love people, people can get under your skin. People can get dis- they can disappoint you, can't they? You can get to the place where you're like, okay, I'm done with them. You know, I don't care if I offend them. That's why you always have to go to the greater priority, and that's why I said love for God. Because you'll still want to be rightly responding to those people that may be disappointing you, not because you love them so much at that moment, well, you need to love them, even if you don't like them at that moment, but because you love God. In other words, God... I I am in this for you. You love that person. And so how can I say I love you if I don't love my brother? That's the message of First John. And so we need to have a life and pray, give me a life without offense. I, I, I don't want to be having this cavalier spirit says, hey, if you don't like what I am, if you don't like the way I said that, tough. That's not, that's not a loving spirit. Did I offend you? That's your problem. No, that's not a Christ-like response. We're not there to necessarily ruffle other people's feathers. But the other part of this without offense is causing people to stumble. There's nothing in our life, and this is perhaps even the deeper, more accurate meaning of this, nothing that we're doing that's tripping other people up. In other words, I'm careful how I conduct myself that, so if someone else is pattering themselves after me, and they're saying, you know, I want to be like Jesus, so I'm looking at this person over here. Will we cause them to stumble because they get to a place where they're watching our lives and they're like, uh ah, Holy Spirit seems to be convicting me, but brother so and so is doing this, and man, they're about the most godly person I know. It's hard to live a consistent Christian life, and that's why we need to be praying this way for each other. Praying for you, praying for me, that there won't be offense. One more. Number ten, what does Christ fill you with to make all of the above possible? Well, there you go in verse 11. Being filled with what? The fruits of righteousness, which are, what, manufactured by us? No. It goes on to say, which are by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the author of these fruits. You know, we, we cannot... Produce in and of ourselves a fruit, a a spiritual outgrowth that is a product of us personally that is righteous. Uh, Galatians five talks about the fruit of the spirit. It's generated. It comes out of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter within us. So that is what this is talking about here. Um, when we when we look at these. These issues here. And you can look at uh, different passages of Scripture. Uh, for instance, in John, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 12. And let me just flip back there, and if you have your Bibles there, you can look at this, uh, Ephesians 1, 12. It says, "...that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ." in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom ye also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is all talking about how we began our life by the spiritual work, supernatural work of Christ in our life, and the Holy Spirit sealing us. But to what purpose, to what end? Back to verse 12. That we might bring praise to His glory. And that's what we're all doing this for. It's not so we get the accolades and pats on the back and, yeah, aren't you just a really righteous person? No. The the fruits of the righteousness come from Christ within us so that the glory might go back to Jesus Christ in our life. And so as we look at this, what a great pattern, great way you say, how can I pray for people? We could just pull out these verses tomorrow and start praying for those people in our church, people that we know, and say, Lord, do these things in this person's life. Help them in their struggles. I don't know what they're going through. And then what a blessing it would be to text that person, call them, say, yeah, just the Lord impressed upon my, my heart. If he does, in fact, to just let you know, I'm praying for you. And, and specifically, the Lord put this area... To pray for you. If there's anything else I can pray for you, you know, let me know. So let's be blessed when people tell us they're praying for us, and let's engage in what the Lord's doing in our life for good, for the glory of God, for the glory of Jesus Christ, because of those prayers. But let's also be praying for others and encouraging them by telling them so as well. Father in heaven, thank you for your word Thank you for the reminders to us from Scripture about how we can pray for one another. But then, Lord, to take it that next step further and periodically to let people know. You know, just to encourage you, I've been praying for you. And uh, I hope you're doing okay. And praying for this particular area in your life. I I don't know what's going on, but for some reason the Lord specifically just prompted me to pray for you about this. So... Hope that you're doing okay. Lord, let us be doing this, especially at this time when we're detached from one another. We need this edification. We need this encouragement. This is a a very practical way that we can be doing this for one another. But then, Lord, I pray that many people that are listening to this message tonight would take another text of Scripture this week. And they would sit down and begin to inspect the text and write out questions and then really to meditate and chew on it and say, you know, what is this saying and how does it apply to my life personally? How can I put this to work in my life? How can this be used for good? What knowledge will I gain from all of this? How will my discernment be honed as a result of this? So, Lord, use this for good. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.